There we go. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Now we can hear. <laughs> Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Why don't we lift up our hands and voices and bless the Lord together. Amen. If you want to clap your hands, go ahead. You want to raise those hands. Let's just magnify the Lord together for a moment because He's worthy. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. You're worthy. Blessed be your name today, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory. There is no one like Jesus. Amen. Amen. While you're standing, if you open your Bibles, let's go to Psalm 120. And uh, someone was indicating, was I going to continue Psalm 119? And I will, but not today. Hallelujah. I felt God lead me to go ahead and go on to 120. And so... We're going to do that, and who knows, we'll come back to 119, and when he says, do it. So, amen. Psalm 120, it's a song of degrees. Your Bible may also have in the inscription or above the psalm, it may say a psalm of ascents. And the word of the Lord says, in my distress I cried unto the Lord, and he heard me. Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given unto thee, or what shall be done unto thee, thou false tongue? Sharp arrows of the mighty with coals of juniper. Woe is me that I sojourn in Mesech, that I dwell in the tents of Kedar. My soul hath long dwelt with him that hateth peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. For just a little while this morning... Well, 40 minutes to be exact, I'm going to teach, preach, preach on this subject, strangers and pilgrims. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, let the living word preach the written word. Cause my tongue to be the pen of a ready writer and speak to us, Lord, through your word. Open our understanding that we may comprehend the scriptures, that we may apply it and obey it faithfully. Lord, we pray all of this believing and expecting in the majestic name of Jesus Christ. And if you believe that, would you say amen? amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Welcome to all of you that are here. Amen. If this is your first time, we welcome you. If it's second, third, welcome back. Amen. If you're joining us online, welcome. We, we bless you in the name of the Lord Jesus. Psalm 120 is the first of 15 psalms in a row called the Psalms of Degrees or the Psalms of Ascent. They literally refer to higher elevation. That's why degree or ascent is a part of it. Literally, you're going to a higher place. These songs, these 15 psalms, 120 through 134, became a hymnal for the Jews. Anybody remember the old, you know, uh, songbooks, right? Okay, Somebody, some of you remember those, right? Okay, it would literally become their songbook, their hymnal for worship when they were going up to Jerusalem. These songs were to be sung when they would go up to Jerusalem for the feasts, every uh, three times a year, there would be the three annual major feasts, and they would sing them as they go, went up to Jerusalem. These songs were to be sung in celebration of their deliverance from captivity. 
Some of them, uh, depending upon the time they were written, would have been sung about the deliverance from Egypt. Some of them would have been sung about the deliverance from Babylon or from Assyria or some other foreign uh, power that might have uh, oppressed them. But regardless of who it was, or even in a personal sense, uh, something that God had delivered them from, these songs were sung as a deliverance from captivity. These songs would have also been the songs that David and all of those that worship with him sang when they brought the Ark of the Covenant back from the house of Obed-Edom to Jerusalem. Now, because of its physical, geographical elevation, from any direction you enter Jerusalem, you go up. Now, the converse is also true. From any direction you leave Jerusalem, you go down. Uh, You ever read the parable of of the man that fell among thieves? It says he went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. That's not some metaphorical term. It's literal. The elevation is about 3,000 feet difference in about 20 miles. 23, I think, miles is the distance. Okay? Um, but here's what's interesting in comparison to these songs of degrees, these psalms of ascent, we also have songs in our second half. We're going to sing some and every one of us have our favorite song or two or three. And and how many of you ever listened to a song and it just mm, does something to you, right? The other day I'm playing a song, the praise team's getting ready to sing it. Uh, which one is it? That worthy of it all, right? Babe, is that the name of it? Worthy of it all? And, and I'm listening to that. I had that thing cranked as loud as I could possibly handle it. And, and I'm just speaking in tongues, praising the Lord. And I look over and there are people looking at me like this. And I'm like, I'm good. You know, <laughs> you know? I, I was just having church right there at the four-way. You know what I mean? Well, you can, you can understand what I'm talking about. That a song, okay, so just like they had these songs and it had real significant meaning, we have songs that have significant meaning to us as well. Amen. A part of our worship is to sing. A part of what we do is to sing and celebrate the Lord. In fact, these songs that we sing, the testimonies that we have, should fill the repertoire of our hymnal, if I can use that term, and we should sing them when we're going up to church. Don't wait for the praise team to get up here to sing. Sing on the way to church. In fact, don't wait for Sunday. Sing on Monday. Sing on Tuesday. Amen. Praise God. These songs that we sing should be sung and and, and worship because of deliverance from captivity. I mean, how many of you could, could nod your head, raise your hand, shake your head, whatever, and say, I've been delivered. These songs speak to that. They celebrate that. The songs that we, that we resonate with, and when I say songs, I'm, I'm meaning the, the physical songs we sing, but also those things that, that speak to us from the Word, the psalms, the songs, the hymns, the spiritual song. When those also impact us, they, they should be sung as we carry the presence of God daily. And if you've noticed a, a connection to what I just said to a few minutes ago with the literal part of this, then that's true because the church's elevation is also up. 
When you go to church, and I don't mean the building, I don't mean just Sunday, but when you come to church and become the church, you go up. I don't know about you, but he lifted me up out of the miry clay. He lifted me up out of my sin. I also know when I sin and backslide, I go down. So there's a lot of similarities there, and there should be. These songs of degrees are believed to crescendo beginning at the low point at Psalm 120 and ending on the high point at Psalm 134. And to that end, there is no praise ye the Lord in Psalm 120, but if you flipped over to Psalm 134 real quick, it's like bless the Lord, praise the Lord, hallelujah, glory to God. I mean, it's like boom. I mean, the, it's A flat, you know, on steroids. The songs of degrees then progress from one to the next. There's a story of history, Israel's history being told. Every individual Jew could relate. They could find themselves in the lyric of each psalm. They could connect back to their lineage and realize they had walked that path. Even if they had not done it physically, they had walked through their ancestors. They would, this would enhance their worship of the one true God as they would realize that God's everlasting mercy and deliverance and love was still being extended to them. Anybody thankful for that today? So equally, as we walk through the lyrics of songs, whether they're being sung or, or verses we read or other things that, that resonate and speak to us, we too can discover that His mercy is everlasting. His truth endures to all generation and deliverance and love are still available. We can relate to these psalms, putting ourselves in them and realizing, you know, uh, it may not be Babylonian captivity, but I was bound to addiction and I'm now set free. And they should enhance uh, the worship of our Lord and Master Jesus Christ. This going up essence of literally the elevation, but also the metaphorical sense of being lifted up above your sin, above your past, is also found in other places in Scripture. Now, I don't have time to go to all of them, but the Lord impressed upon me to go to one of them. And it's in 1 Kings chapter 12, and this is the, the account of when Jeroboam took ten tribes and went north and created the northern kingdom of Israel. His brother Rehoboam had stayed in Judah with Benjamin and the Levites and the tribe of Judah and had created the, the southern kingdom of Judah. And the kingdom was split. These were the two sons of Solomon. There's your history lesson for today. And in 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 26, let's read what it says here. And Jeroboam said in his heart, notice where his sin started. Sin never starts with the action. It always starts in the heart and the mind. And by the way, the heart and mind are interchangeable in Scripture. It always starts with a thought, with a desire, with an emotion. Jeroboam said in his heart, Now shall the kingdom return to the house of David. If this people go up to do sacrifice in the house of the Lord of Jerusalem, then shall the heart of this people turn again to the Lord. Can I tell you how right he is? If you'll get yourself to church, if you'll go up to church, something is going to happen. God makes up the difference. Amen? 
How many of you know that when you come, even in those times where you're tired, exhausted, frustrated, whatever, you come and all of a sudden this one begins to have a Holy Ghost hoedown. This one lets out a hallelujah war hoop. This one over here is lifting her hands. That one over there is crying and praying. And all of a sudden something begins to happen and resonate because you've gone up to church. And Jeroboam knew if I let him go back to Jerusalem and go up to the house of the Lord, I'm going to lose him. Hmm. And he even said, they're going to come back and kill me at the end of that verse. So verse 28, what's he do? He takes counsel. I don't know who he took counsel with, but he takes counsel. He makes two calves of gold. Can anybody say, thou shalt not have idols? Thou shalt not worship, right? <laughs> makes two calves of gold. And said unto them, them being the children of Israel, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods, O Israel. Now here's a question I've got. I guarantee you right now, if I said, I'm bringing a brand new message to you today, brand new revelation, hot off the presses, I've taken counsel in my heart, and... Um, and whatever I present to you is clearly false doctrine. I got a feeling it's going to be too long before I start hearing some, uh, no, excuse me, nope, nope. And if, if I don't stop talking, there's going to be a lot of people exiting that door. Right? Why didn't these Israelites say, uh, excuse me, king, I mean, you know, hey, congratulations on your kingship and all, but... Thou shalt have no other gods before thee. Did you forget about that verse? Right? Do you, do you re remember what Aaron did? Oh, we put all the gold in the, and out popped a calf. <laughs> you know? I mean, what's wrong with you, king? I ain't bowing down to no calf. That calf, he goes on to tell him it's those calves that brought him out of Israel or out of Egypt. And they fall for it. He sets up idols, one in Dan, one in Beersheba, and say, there. He creates his own priesthood. He says, there, go worship there. Everything he does imitates the genuine. Oh, my Lord. I'm fixing to get real plain here. Because there's a spirit in our world today. A charismatic, compromising spirit that wants to appeal to our flesh. And, and Brother Sal, it, it, it says church on the marquee. And the man in, in, in the platform or stage calls himself a pastor. And, it, and he uses a Bible sometimes. <laughs> right? And, and it looks good on the surface. But it's a cheap imitation of the authentic. I, 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 I want to speak a warning today. Beware what you feed yourself with. Because not everybody that says we're a church is the true church. Now, please, I'm not, I'm not speaking denominationalism. You know I don't believe in that junk. Well, I believe in the Bible. I had somebody ask me one time, what religion are you? I said, God's. They're like, okay, okay, but really? I said, no, really, God's. 
Somebody said, well, well, then why do you call yourself Pentecostal? I said, because I was born again on the day of Pentecost, like the book of Acts. But why do you call yourself apostolic? Because I believe the apostles' doctrine. There's a lot of people that trace their, their religious belief back to, you know, a man, you know. Say, for example, Martin Luther. Well, you know, he nailed the 95 theses on the door. Great. I, I love the fact that he did that. I love the fact that he stood up against, uh, you know, the, the lies. But, but I don't trace it back to a man or an organization. I trace it back to Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Be careful. Be careful of anyone that wants to keep you away from God's truth. Don't fall for the cheap imitation of God's genuine presence. Let me ask you a question. Um, <clears throat> I, there's a lot of us in here that if I just started humming some tunes, some of you might recognize, and not all of them are, are Christian. Right? And, and not all of them... If they're not Christian, doesn't mean that they're bad either, per se. I don't want to get off into that rabbit trail for a minute. But, but other than just to say to you that, that how many of you ever, you know, walked into, you know, restaurant or Walmart or whatever, and you hear the music and all of a sudden, you know, na, 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 na. You're, you're singing it because you know it. Because it does something to your emotions. Whether it's, you know, good godly music or, you know, something else. You ever been tapping the steering wheel? Ba, da, ba, 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 you know, because it does something to your emotions. And while we may do some of the very similar things today, dance, jump, leap, shout, speak in tongues, do all that, and it is connected to emotionalism, the fact is there's also something more pure because the Bible says to worship Him in spirit and in truth. It's not either or. It's both and. It's not just my emotions. That's lowercase s spirit there. It's not just involving my emotions and getting excited about what God has done. It's also making sure I'm doing it in truth. Hallelujah. I don't want a cheap imitation. The 120th psalmist would have known the history of Jeroboam. And he would have known the history behind the songs of degrees from the time of David carrying the ark back into Jerusalem. He would have known the purpose of these songs uh, of degrees. Uh, he, he would have lived uh, through some of these experiences as he, as he writes them. He, he would have had experienced some of these moments. Uh, and his psalm today is a cry for God's help. He's, he's ready to be done with his enemy and their lies. It's, it's possible he's still in captivity himself. And, and if these, in fact, were the ones that, that David would have used, this captivity couldn't have been Babylon or Assyria, but some other captivity, maybe even the captivity of Egypt, where he longed to be free from that worldly connection to sin. He desires to go up to Jerusalem. He desires 
to worship the one true God in spirit and in truth even in the old covenant. He desires to leave the place he's at and if anybody is beginning to resonate with that that I'm tired of where I've been and and I want to go higher I want to go further in God then today this message is for you. You can go up uh, to the presence of the Lord. You can go up uh, into his anointing and experience uh, a fresh touch from God. The first thing that the psalmist does is he cries out to the Lord. Look at verse 1. In my distress I cried unto the Lord. I'm glad it doesn't end there. There's a comma. And he heard me. Can I tell somebody when you cry out to God His ear is tuned in to the frequency of your cry. His ear is turned to whatever is going on in your situation. And if you'll cry out to God, He will hear you and deliver you. He says, deliver my soul, Lord, from lying lips and a deceitful tongue. We know from the rest of the psalm, we know from the rest of history that in fact deliverance did happen. So God not only uh, hears our cry, but He answers. And if you'll cry out to God, He will hear your prayer and He will answer. Hallelujah. God is everywhere always. There is no government, military, or any other form of of man-made whatever that can deny Him access to His people when they cry out for help. The psalmist wants deliverance from those who have surrounded him with their lies and deception. Their lies and taunts could be something like this. Your God won't deliver you. The gods we serve, and if it is Egypt, let's say, the gods we serve are greater than your gods. And it's taunting him and it's, it's affecting him. And if it is Egypt and he's in that slavery moment, he's in that, that position of, uh, of slavery. If it is some other uh, sort of captivity, then, then there's no doubt the effect of this upon him. Where's God when I need him? And maybe he's given in to some of these thoughts and he cries unto the Lord. You know, the Bible does tell us that the Lord heard the cry of his people and sent Moses. Hmm. Enemies will use psychological warfare to emotionally wear down their prisoners. This is exactly what the psalmist may even be referring to here. We don't know what the bind was. We don't know what particular captivity it could have been uh, that he was in. But what we do know is that when he cried to the Lord, God heard him and delivered him. Oh, hallelujah. Can I tell you, I've heard many stories time and again of people that have cried unto the Lord in their distress. They've been bound by addictions and fears, bound by sin. And when they cry unto the Lord, mm, just like the man who was called Legion, who had thousands of devils, not a single one of those devils could keep him from worshiping Jesus. But when he worshiped Jesus, every one of them devils had to leave because Jesus heard the cry of his heart. And I've come to tell somebody today, If you want to go up, Jesus will hear your cry. Hallelujah. I wonder right now if there's anyone here 
in person or joining online that would just raise your hand and just testify, God has heard my cry. There have been times I've prayed. There have been moments that I've called on Him. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, a few months ago we had all kinds of testimonies of people that cried unto the Lord in their hurt, in their pain, in their sorrow, in their addiction, in their depression, whatever it was. And when they called on the Lord, He heard. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. I'm sure glad He heard, Brother Joseph, when you called out to Him. I'm sure glad He heard your cry. Amen. I'm sure glad He heard the cries of all of you here and online that, that cried to God and He heard you. Amen. You know, maybe that's part of the reason why the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. We ought to say so. We ought to tell somebody. Amen. He's been good. Hallelujah. The next two verses reveal what I like to call the carnage of sin. Verse 3 says, What shall be given unto thee, or what shall be done unto thee, thou false tongue? Sharp arrows of the mighty with coals of juniper. In these verses, the, the referring to the false tongue and the lying lips uh, connected from the previous verse, you can see a connection uh, to these two, linking them, and the cry for deliverance uh, is, is ongoing. The sharp arrows of the mighty and the coals of juniper uh, could be referring to some form of, again, psychological warfare as well as literal. Obviously, they, they did fire arrows, uh, and they would have been sharp, and they would burn juniper trees and then uh, use that to, to burn their enemies and, and sometimes flaming arrows and sometimes uh, to literally burn them alive or, or, or even in their woundedness burn them. And, and some of the, 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 the charcoal, then they would even use that as, as a weapon. Instead of, instead of maybe throwing stones, they would throw that charcoal. And, 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 you know, obviously as it's sailing through the air, the oxygen hitting it and hitting them, it sometimes would combust and, and, and cause uh, grievous sores, if at least not sometimes death. But as well, as equal to what literally was being referred to there, was the fact that the psychological element of what was happening, that, that, it, that the psychological, emotional warfare of this was, was also like those piercing sharp arrows and like those burning coals of that juniper tree. And it would burn into the, the core of that person who they were. How many of you know that sometimes emotional trauma is worse than physical trauma? The emotional trauma is deeper. It, 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 it causes our mind to do crazy things and we create false realities and different perceptions and we build walls and all of these things happen. And, and, and that's why sometimes when, when you, you know, can, can I just be blunt for a minute? I love it when God heals and does physical miracles. and I praise Him for every one, but I also rejoice equally, if not more, when He does an emotional miracle because you can't see the scars on the inside. It's easy if I come in with a sling today because I broke my arm, it would be easy to say, oh, what happened, Bishop? You broke your arm, right? Every one of you would ask me the question. But if I've got a broken heart, not a one of you are going to know it. You're not going to ask me about it because it wouldn't show. And so the emotional trauma felt like an arrow, felt like this coal of juniper upon him. And he's like, God, when are you going to deliver me? I'm, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of being in this captivity. I want to get out. I'm tired of the lying lips. I'm tired of the deceiving tongue. You can sense the, 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 the dramatic element of what the psalmist is saying here. Can you feel what I'm preaching today? Can you feel what the Word is teaching us today? But 
I want to point out something. There's a twofold element of this, these verses. It's not just a cry for help from the psalmist. If you dig into the depth of the grammar in the Hebrew here, it's also that the psalmist is saying, what you've afflicted on me, and inflicted, excuse me, on me, God is going to inflict on you. In other words, uh, the sharp arrows that literally killed my comrades and the burning coals that, that, that you know, caused carnage on the battlefield, if not death, uh, and the emotional element of those two things, God is going to do back to you. And we know Scripture after Scripture says that. He would use Egypt to do this, but then He would punish her. He used Babylon to do this, but then He would punish them. And we see the same thing happening here. So in other words, what He's saying is, Go ahead and lie all you want to. Go ahead and deceive all you want to. Go ahead and laugh it up now. But my God has the last laugh. Mm. Can I tell somebody, some of you, the devil's come along with some fiery darts. Flaming arrows, coals of juniper. Hmm, kind of sounds similar. He's come against you with some fiery darts. But I've come to tell you, you got a shield of faith that you can hold up today that will quench not one, not some, not 99%, but all the fiery darts of the wicked. If you'll hold up that shield of faith, if you'll stand firm, God is your protection. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Can I also remind somebody else that the same devil that has tormented you, lied to you, the same devil who's accused you night and day before the Lord has a date with the lake of fire. I've read about it in the book of Revelation. He's going to be tormented day and night. The very thing he did to us is going to be done to him in an eternal lake of fire. So the next time the devil reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. Hallelujah. You will be vindicated. Hmm. Anybody believe that? In the next three verses, five, six, and seven, the psalmist reveals that he longs to go home. This fact, this is where I took my title, Strangers and, and Pilgrims. The word sojourn here and the, the, the two places he mentions, uh, Misak and Kedar, are obviously not Jerusalem, obviously not his home. He's dwelling with those that hate peace. He's for peace, but when he speaks, they're for war. So we know he's not home. Anybody feel not at home in this whole world? Anybody more and more tired of what's going on in this whole world? Am I the only one saying, come quickly, Lord Jesus? I didn't think so. You see, these verses indicate that he's ready to be delivered. He's ready to leave this place that he's been in. He's ready to leave this captivity that he's been in. And the reason that these verses inspired my title today is because they indicate that the psalmist felt like a stranger and a pilgrim. That's what the word sojourner means, and longed to be home. Now consider what the writer of Hebrews has to say about strangers and pilgrims. I'm reading from Hebrews 11, and I'm going to begin at verse 8. By faith Abraham, 
when he was called to go out into a place which he should receive, or after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned, there's that word, in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with, this, with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. We're going to come back to that, but remember verse 10 for a minute. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age. Because she judged him faithful who had promised, therefore sprang there even one, and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky and the multitude, and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. Watch this, verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. This world is not my home. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they come out... Mm, boy, that'll preach right there. They might have had opportunity to have returned... Uh, but now they desire a better country that is in heavenly. Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. By faith and through faith, Abraham and Sarah realized they were strangers and pilgrims on this earth. And by the way, the city they were looking for was not geographical. It was not Jerusalem. It was not the city of David. It wasn't an actual place like Omaha is on the map. Other, it was actually the place of the church, the birth of God's church. They were looking for the church. This is why they were nomadic. This is why they confessed they were strangers and promises. This is why they wanted to see the fulfillment of God's church, which by the way, the Bible says is a city set on a hill which cannot be hid, which we know Jesus Christ himself, who is the rock, said, I'll build it and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Hallelujah. I know we have homes, apartments, Cars, jobs, careers, families, and all of that. But I don't know about you, but this ain't my home. Mm -mm. I was privileged a few years ago to, to, to build a home we built there in Caribou and then sold it and moved here. But, but, you know, I loved it, liked it, but it's nothing like the home I'm going to. Hallelujah. Peter himself also wrote about strangers and pilgrims. Amen. In 1 Peter 2.11, it says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Anybody remember Jeroboam from a few minutes earlier? Right? And his cheap imitation of God's genuine presence. Right? 1 Kings, remember that? Fleshly lusts in this context are not only or uh, exclusively referring to sexual sins. We often assume the word lust would imply and indicate perverseness, and it does 
mean that. However, that's not all it means because in the greater context of 1 Peter 2.11, it's anything, it's everything that appeals to our flesh, which can also be the way we practice our faith. If our practice of our faith becomes more important than faith in God, we've created an idol out of our religion. Well, that weren't in my notes, but that was good. I'm telling you what. Good preaching, Bishop. I'm telling you what now. Whoo! Yes, sirree. Hallelujah. You see, fleshly lust can be money, can be careers, it can be education. I have a such and such degree. Well, woo toddy do. Yay. Pride can be a fleshly lust. And obviously, of course, the sexual sins. If we're not worshiping God in spirit and truth, then these things will war against our soul. Can I tell you, you can't serve God and mammon? That's, that's Jesus' word, brother. You're right. It's the Bible. <laughs> You'll love the one and hate the other or hate the one and love the other. I mean, it's just, that's, it's just that simple. There's no middle ground. Okay? You can't do the, the Holy Ghost splits and be half in the world and half in the church. and It, it ain't going to work. I'm sorry. Right? And notice what these fleshly lusts do. They war against the soul. Hmm. That should tell you they're not good for you. Well, Pastor Danny Wilson preached just a few weeks ago about one of the saddest realities of deception from 2 Thessalonians. That people would be deceived and still feel the presence of God. Not realizing it was a strong delusion sent from God because they received not a love for the truth. This is why you need to be on guard at all times, and here's why. Because revelation and strong delusion come from the same source, God. So when someone is practicing or professing or preaching something that the Bible does not support, and they say, I feel the Spirit of God. God told me. They're probably not lying. They have felt the Spirit of God. They just can't discern that it's a strong delusion. And the reason is because they receive not a love of the truth. So do you realize that therein is also the remedy? If you'll love the truth, you won't be sent a strong delusion. I don't read this, study it, look into it, dig into it, to try to find a loophole to say, what can I get away with? Let's see. What is the minimum I can do to serve God and still get to heaven by the hair of my chinny chin chin? But you know that's what a lot of people do? You say, well, you're just blindly following God. No, I can see clearly now. <laughs> I once was blind, but now I can see. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I don't want the deceivableness of unrighteousness 
to get a hold of me and lead me to spiritual death. I don't want to believe a lie and be damned. I want to fall in love with the truth. I'm a stranger and a pilgrim here. The 120th Psalmist was someone who was ready to make the pilgrimage from captivity to freedom, from bondage to deliverance. If you're here today and you're not born again, are you ready to repent? Because today is the day of salvation. Are you ready to be free of the captivity of your sin and addictions? Are you ready to leave that bondage and be delivered? Today's the day of salvation. If you're here today and you, you have sinned, and even if you have been born again but you've sinned, can I remind you, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. Uh, and if you're ready to be free of the guilt and the shame of all that goes with that, then today is your day. You can go up uh, to the house of the Lord and be delivered. Uh, does anybody want God to touch them today? Does anybody want the, well, why don't you stand to your feet then and let Jesus know, God, I need you. I need you more than anything. I need you more than everything. God, I can't make it on my own. I don't want to even try. Help me, Jesus, to be free. Help me, Jesus, to walk in righteousness. Help me, Lord, to abstain from those things, those fleshly lusts which war against the soul. To be a stranger and a pilgrim here on this earth. Hallelujah. 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 Well, praise the Lord. God bless you. Before you leave, I want to remind you that in the book of, uh, I think it's Nehemiah, they would have a three-hour service of, of preaching, and then they'd have a three-hour service of repenting. So next Sunday is a six-hour service. So. <laughs> Just teasing. God bless you. We'll see you at the second half.